Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Check out our amazing offers on Xfinity Internet. You'll get fast speed and Wi-Fi coverage you can count on. Plus, get advanced security free with the XFi Gateway, so you can keep the connected devices in your home protected from network threats. Just log in and activate through the Xfinity app. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to Sox Machine Live. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Thursday, August 1st, 2019, as we are streaming the show live on Mixler.com slash Sox Machine. As the Chicago White Sox just wrapped up, their series against the New York Mets and the 10-game homestand. And even though they played at home against the Marlins and the Mets, both teams below 500, and they also had a four-game series against the Minnesota Twins, the White Sox go 2-8 and eight during the 10-game homestand. And they are now 4-16 and 16 since the All-Star break. So all those happy, fuzzy feelings that we were having heading into the All-Star break, yeah, those are gone. Now with the trade deadline over and the White Sox not making any significant moves, what should we be watching for in these final two months of the season? Well, to answer that question and go over what the White Sox plans are for the rest of the season and maybe even going to 2020 is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and the co-host of the podcast. It's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. Welcome to the dog days of the baseball season. Yeah, that was a profoundly uh, disappointing way to both uh, hit the trade deadline and then introduce what happens after. It was anticlimactic yesterday, and it's uh, just, uh, it feels like it's downhill from here, and downhill is a long way to go. Oh, yeah. It certainly does. It does feel very much like we are on the downhill for the rest of the season. The the, the trade deadline itself 
had kind of a slow buildup, but man, the deals that were announced after the, I believe it was four o'clock Eastern, three o'clock Central time. Uh, you know, Castellanos going to the Cubs and then follow that up with Zach Greinke going to the Houston Astros. It was a wild and crazy finish to the trade deadline. But as I mentioned in the intro, the White Sox uh, really weren't part of it. And they're now heading to Philadelphia for three game series, which w- we will preview later in the show. There is a piece of transaction news. The Chicago White Sox option, AJ Reed to Charlotte. Reed just did not look good in the major leagues. Uh, which means that there's an opportunity to call up an interesting player. Charlotte is going through a rain delay right now. I'm not sure if that game has been called off yet, uh, but through the rumor mill, it appears that player could be Matt Skoll, which is not a very satisfactory decision if that is the direction the White Sox want to go. And as you mentioned, Jim, the trade deadline wasn't for the White Sox. So other than selling off $1 million in international pool spending money to save some salary on Nate Jones, uh, the White Sox did nothing. No other trades, and they stuck with Alex Colome. So, Jim, what do you make of the White Sox lack of activity at the trade deadline? I think they were in a difficult spot just because really it was Colome and you know you had maybe some late blooming of Von Nova and John Jay, I guess, would be more of a potential based uh, acquisition because, you know, he's still you know, he has good at bats, good days, bad days. I think he's league knows what he is, but, uh, you know, isn't, um, you know, all that enamored with the skill set. I mean, the White Sox got him for agency for one year and four million dollars. So I didn't expect him to. Uh, you know, show up and, and, and play well for a couple of weeks and then expect the whole league to be on fire with interest. So I think everybody but Colome was more or less hopeful. And then when it came to Colome, you know, we, we've seen his strikeout rate plummet a little bit. Uh, it's rebounded a little bit in July. It was especially down in June, but it's come back since. But he's not somebody who strikes any anybody out with a, uh, you know, with extreme velocity or really heartbreaking stuff. He He's more of a guy who limits contact and he's gotten really... Uh, you know, he's been good, but he's been really fortunate, too, in just how few hits he's allowed with uh, in, in save situations. So when you look at that and you look at uh, how lucky he's been and you f- figure regressions uh, do at some point for him, I can see why teams would want to go for, you know, I guess more velocity or more strikeouts, more swings and misses than, than Colome. And, uh, you know, if, if they're looking, you know, at, say, another Cody Medeiros, another... Um, you know, they could even get like a Colby Allard or somebody like, you know, a, a, an underperforming starter or a, a starter with underwhelming stuff. If they're just looking at a guy who might be a bullpen arm, uh, that, you know, they have plenty of those guys and column a is better than, you know, basically he's the best guy in their bullpen right now. And they're going to need to get somebody like him for next year if they want to contend. And so, you know, are, should he trade him for somebody who's another, um, you know, stab at minor league value, or do you keep them? And and so the White Sox kept them, and I can understand that. It's just uh, you know pretty anticlimactic when you have all these guys like uh, you know Wellington Castillo and Kelvin Herrera and and Jay and Nova and 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 uh, uh, you know Colome and and McCann and just all these guys. You have uh, you know it seemed like one of these guys would have been flippable, and really at the end it was just Nate Jones who was dealt, and that was just mainly a. Uh, a, a ledger issue um, that the White Sox take a financial obligation away and they send a little bit of uh, international money that they were going to use. And that's uh, just pretty flat. And uh, yeah, I guess I wasn't expecting a whole lot more, but it would have been nice given how little there is to talk about right now at the major league level. So then moving forward, the White Sox, you know, there are some that say even, I think Rick Hahn was hinting at it, that keeping Alex Colome helps 
as far as how competitive they will be in 2020. And there is this quote from Rick Hahn when he spoke with the media yesterday on Wednesday. And, quote, heading into this offseason, based on the progress of some of these young players, based on the progress of other young players that will be joining this roster over the coming months, I think it's very logical for us you are going to see a heightened level of aggressiveness come this offseason. We'll wait until we get there to decide exactly we are, Rickon said, unquote. Jim, I think it's very logical for us you're going to see a heightened level of aggressiveness come this offseason. What do you make of Rickon's statement? Well, he didn't say who was going to be aggressive. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's very cautious <laughs> and measured. And, and uh, if you want to nail them down, it's, you know, should the uh, you know big signings come and go and they end up with another grab bag of veterans, it's, uh, you know, he might be able to bail himself out that way. Why is he so noncommittal? Uh, that's just who he is. I mean, he's been like that for a while. And I think, you know, when Kenny Williams was there uh, and being more of a shoot from the hip guy and somebody who would... Uh, you know, for better for worse, speak more from the heart and and put a little more emotion to it. A lot of times it took the form of, uh, you know, I guess shaming fans and, you know, doing attendance guilt trips and everything like that. And, you know, a lot of fans were fed up and, you know, he did throw some guys under the bus in his earlier years. He he did give it up, you know, after the World Series. He was, was a bit further removed from that. But he was somebody who was more competitive more of an yeah i guess he brought more of an athlete mentality to it where he left it out in the field and mm-hmm. sometimes you would see him uh you know get frustrated and and have to walk things back or tone things down afterwards and when han came in he was very more measured about it and he spoke about you know analytics and he in you know he was very much a you know somebody who i guess would try not to get himself in trouble with words. And I think initially when he was, you know, in, inheriting a, a team that was, you know, not as good as record suggested. And he had the, the, the bad first year talking about a rebuild and building up the farm system. It all sounded good. Uh, but now when it's time for, you know, the competitive juices to kick in again and, and, you know, get more fired up about it and, and get more aggressive and bring that kind of, uh, I guess, killer instinct to team building. He doesn't really have that. Um, you know, he's still measured, still, uh, you know, I guess he'll occasionally sound uh, disappointed or, um, you know, like say when Manny Machado didn't work out, you know, he did try his best to sound, uh, you know, I guess crestfallen a little bit, but he's just not somebody who brings that kind of attitude to it. And I think uh, um, you were seeing that around the league a lot. You know, it's mainly, you know, the former players are out of the front offices now and it's more of a, um, you, you saw Ross Atkins in Toronto brag about having 42 years of team control instead of 14, you know, <laughs> after the deadline. And, and that's just kind of, I think, how it is. I, I think, you know, Atkins has gotten himself in trouble with words uh, sounding, you know, too uh, spreadsheety, business-oriented, uh, uh, profit-seeking, you know, rather than actually trying to put a winner on the field. Han tries to avoid that. Like, you, you never hear him talking about service time or, um, you know, I guess, yeah, he, he distances himself from from those uh, conversations. But you know, if he's not talking about service time, which is really the honest reason for keeping Eloy Jimenez down uh, last year and keeping Luis Robert down this year, and if he's not uh, really fired up about adding, then you get a guy who just has to kill a lot of time and say nothing. James Vegan of The Athletic wrote this paragraph that I thought really was spot on. And what James wrote was, if the only solace for a dull trade deadline is taking heart that it means that they are moving on from sell mode 
and closer to contention, they'll need to show it in some way, whether it's in September or December, but both is preferred. Not stripping the bullpen clean hints that the White Sox are serious about 2020, but bringing up Luis Robert and Nick Magical will solidify it. And again, I think James is 100% right. And you know what? We are seeing it elsewhere around Major League Baseball. Look at the Blue Jays. Kevin Biggio and now Bo Bichette was just called up, and now they're paired with Vlad Jr., and they're learning together in the big league level. We've seen it all season long with San Diego. You know, Teams are not afraid of throwing their prospects into the fire, and they are. we're watching other teams being very aggressive in player development efforts. So on the aggressive scale, Jim, where would you put the White Sox up against other teams in baseball? Uh, I would say they're more, I mean, maybe middle of the pack. Um, I think the Blue Jays are maybe a bit of an exception to the Padres. And Mets have been a bit of an exception when it comes to promoting their top prospects. But otherwise, you know, I, I think, you know, they're, they have enough company to where fans who are worried about seven years of team control and seven is greater than six. You know, there's enough company there to where, you know, that does make a certain level of sense. Yeah, when it comes to what the White Sox have ahead of them and, and try and prove they're serious, I think, you know, what they have to prove is that they're serious about taking advantage of Yohan Makata's last, uh, you know, four full seasons of team control and, and maximizing the winner around him if they're, you know, if everybody's so worried about not being able to retain anybody after they hit free agency. And that's what, you know, one thing that drives me nuts with this rebuild is that, you know, the whole idea of rebuilding and making the postseason two years in a row is that you get a whole new level of fan interest and fan anticipation. And, you know, if they're in the AL Central and they're the Chicago team in the AL Central, they should be able to spend Detroit levels of money. You know, maybe not go as overboard as Mike Illich did, just because, you know, we are seeing some of the, uh, you know, like, like spending, you know, that kind of money on a 34-year-old Miguel Cabrera, I think he was when he signed that extension. You know, maybe <laughs> you, know, uh, you don't want to go nuts in that regard, but, you know, retaining players who are in the primes of their careers. You know, the White Sox should be able to pick and choose who they want to retain, and, uh, you know, the fans should be able to reward them because the few times they've been good, and especially with uh, 2005, uh, you know, they drew 2.5 million, 2.9 million, um, just the levels of attendance they hadn't seen. And, uh, you know, they haven't done any, you know, they haven't been able to sustain a winner that draws that kind of interest since. But, you know, if they can somehow, pro you know, produce a winner for a payroll in the low 100s and they draw 2.5 million and they get ratings and, uh, you know, they're putting all their games on cable, they should be able to spend more. So that's what, you know, I guess that's what drive me, drives me nuts about this is that, you know, the next four years should be seen as vital for building a winner. If they can't, you know, get to the postseason or, or, or build sustainable success by the end of Yohan Makata's time, they have much bigger problems. And, uh, you know, Luis Roberts' uh, free agency is going to be the least of them. I think the White Sox are one of the least aggressive teams now in all of Major League Baseball. When you just look at everything, the prospect development on how they go after as far as trades and how they go after free agency, outside of the 2017 trade-a-rama, <laughs> the crazy amount of trades uh, that Rick Hahn pulled off in July, last year's trade deadline, Jim, was very quiet. I think only Joaquim Soria was the, the big trade. In 2016, when we now know that they packed it in and that they were done, the only trade that he made was trading Zach Duke to St. Louis for Charlie Tilson. So just 
now for the last four straight seasons, it just doesn't appear that Rick Khan, other than 2017, is hyper-aggressive in trying to make moves happen before the July 31st deadline. I, I don't know. That's just what it, it it appears looking at the last four years. One busy year and three dull years. Yeah, like the over the overall approach, yeah, I would say he's on the passive side. Um, I, when it comes to prospects, I think he's more towards an old pack. But then when you, you know, factor in slow development and progression of prospects and really trying to maximize the service time for each and every individual, uh, and then you factor that in with the lack of churn, um, the amount of uh, Dylan Covey you see in Ross Detweiler and uh, your Ryan Cordell and Charlie Tilson, like the way these usual suspects. And if Matt Skull, that's perfect. If Matt Skull is the guy coming up just because they've already seen him. And, you know, like Ryan Goins is up. And, and you know, I, I was okay with Ryan Goins coming up because they needed a left-handed bat and he helped. And he was playing well. And he, he was playing well. And, uh, you know, Charlie Tilson, you know, it, it was a way to get him, you know, I guess, decrease the reliance on Charlie Tillerson and, and open up the outfield possibilities a little bit. And so that was fine. Um, and it allowed Larry Garcia to play outfield. And so, you know, that allowed uh, a certain amount of flexibility for Rick Renteria and he's been playing well since. So, I mean, you know, that's fine, but uh, it also got in the way of, you know, Danny Mendick and it also gets in the way of like Zach Collins and uh, you know, uh, Nick Madrigal a little bit. And, and Luis Robert, I think is his own thing because he's got, the entire center field carved out for him between DH and the infield spots. Um, you know, there are, there are ways for, uh, you know, these, these lesser prospects to get involved and try it. And, uh, they just, you know, refuse to bring up new, I, mean, I guess AJ Reed was their one dally. That's like the one exception. And he was, um, you know, he's just miserable to watch and every got tired of him. And I think, you know, it's maybe the, the rub that the White Sox find themselves is that the few times they do try to go outside and bring in somebody interesting, it blows up in their face. And I think that's partially the pro talent evaluation, but uh, it's also, you know, a little bit bizarre with the way Zach Collins was handled and just a lot of questions on, you know, who they like, who they, um, who they think is important and, um, you know, who they actually think is a good ball player among, you know, guys in their ranks. It, it just feels like a blind, uh, you know, just a hopeless reaching session a lot of cases trying to find these guys to fill spots yeah i think they're just wasting time though i mean if you're serious about leading up to making this transition from rebuilder to contender in 2020 i think this is the perfect time in these next two months to start giving the guys on the fringe opportunities like recalling ryan cordell instead of luis robert why? What more do you need to learn about Ryan Cordell at this point? You gave him a long run. Uh, you're calling up Matt Skull. He's 29 years old. So uh, instead of Ma Danny Mendek, so maybe they like Matt Skull more, and maybe they don't really think highly of Danny Mendek at all. They're continuing to trot out Wellington Castillo, which after this last game just clearly looks that to me that Castillo's just checked out. Uh, instead of playing Zach Collins for the final two months of the season. Uh, and how this offense needs a bat. So why not give Yerman Mercedes the last two months of DH and actually see if, you know, this is a legit bat. You know, why not try something new instead of continuing to recycle the same guys over and over and over again? It just seems, you know, going back to the quote, this high level of aggressiveness for the White Sox with Rick Hahn at the helm means really nothing to me, Jim. And this is a guy, for example, 
if he's buying a car and he knows he needs to buy a car and he sees the perfect car in the lot, he's going to wait a month and come back to see if the car is still there and he's going to find it to be sold already. Like, aggressive is not how I would ever describe Rekhan. So when he's trying to convey to the media that it's logical for us to see a high level of aggressiveness in the offseason, I don't think that means anything. You've, you haven't been aggressive at all in any offseason, except for one, and that's back in 2015. So are you going to be more aggressive than you were when you traded for Jeff Samarja and you signed Adam LaRoche, David Robertson, and Melky Cabrera? Yeah, I'm trying to think. It was like maybe it's a far side cartoon or something like that where the there's a snail riding on a turtle's back and yelling at him to slow down. That's kind of how I feel <laughs> yes. where he's uh, going with <laughs> yes. this. It's just, uh, you know, it's it's aggressive for him. So if he's going to be aggressive in the offseason, he's really going to take the next two months to really just enjoy the time that he doesn't have to potentially jeopardize a rebuild or make a choice about which prospects to trade or, uh, you know, which big money, to, you know, which big money contracts to hand out. It's just, uh, yeah, it does seem like pulling teeth. I just... What are you jeopardizing, though? I guess that's 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 my point of view. I don't know what he would be possibly jeopardizing. For example, giving Yerman Mercedes a shot or bringing back Zach Collins. At least you could have Collins catch to Lynn Cease. He caught Cease a bunch of times in Charlotte. You know, this I feel like this is a perfect time these last two months just to try to get some answers on some of these fringe prospect guys and just move on from the veterans. I think the only veteran that they really need at this moment is Ivan Nova because they have a dire need for starting pitching to eat up some innings. Yeah, and he's been fine and he helps. Um, you know, he's been fine, I guess, as of late and and they can use him in this form. But I was looking at Collins and, you know, we're doing the minor league box scores every day. He's only struck out five times over his last nine games. Um, you know, he's had one, two, three, four, five, zero strikeout games and he's had hits that aren't homers and he's... Uh, you know, still drawing walks and getting away from the three true outcomes thing. So maybe something did click uh, a little bit that he was able to, uh, I guess, um, you know, take from his major league experience where he struck out a lot. He <laughs> got to, you know, punish with high fastballs or maybe it's just triple A you know, pitching isn't nearly as challenging after getting a taste of uh, major league pitching. But, you know, he did return to the minors and he has shown um, some improvements when it comes to his his chief weakness, which was, you know, getting... Uh, yeah, forcing action, because I, I think with, with Collins, you know, he can look or kind of, I guess, uh, get on base and be productive in a passive way that won't work in the majors when he's challenged by major league pitching. So I think he's been, you know, done a decent job of being a more active producer in the minors. And it does seem like, you know, of course, the timing works out as such that uh, I think they're facing two lefties in the Philadelphia series and throwing Collins immediately in the lineup against lefties. I mean... There is some, you know, I guess, reason to call him up. But if you're expecting any kind of success, you'd kind of be mistaken. And, and so it'd be nice to set him up against, you know, nice run of righties and get him in the lineup four out of five days and 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 see how that goes. And yeah, it just, yeah, I think, yeah, as you mentioned with Castillo, uh, he may prove like Deion or Navarro that there's no point in keeping him around. And then if you went up with Collins and Mercedes and just had a, you know, a three catcher thing and rotating one of the guys DH spots so you don't feel... I guess like you're jeopardizing, you know, running Collins out uh, as a catcher who might need to be pinch hit for later in the game. Uh, you know, there are possibilities and it would be fun to see the White Sox get, you know, uh, a little bit carefree with it. Just get busy. Start doing stuff like get busy or get busy. Hell, as to borrow the quote from 
Shawshank Redemption, get busy living or get busy dying. And I I think if you're just going to continue to play all of these veterans and just keep recycling the same failed prospects over and over again, and we're not learning anything, uh, these last two months of the season are going to be a drag, especially for fans watching this team and we're we're going to consistently keep getting highlights from Charlotte on how great Luis Robert is hitting and now we're going to start seeing Nick Madrigal and we're still going to see these highlights of home runs from Yerman Mercedes and we're just going to keep asking these same questions over and over again why are these guys in Charlotte why are they not in Chicago getting playing time so Rick Hahn can actually know what he has on hand so he can make a good educated decision on how aggressive he should be in this upcoming offseason? I think that's a hard question for him to have a firm answer if he chooses not to call up players like Luis Robert and Nick Magical or give Zach Collins a second shot or a longer shot. In these last two months, I just think yeah. that's a very difficult <laughs> question for him to answer. Yeah, you were quoting uh, uh, Shawshank. I was quoting Poochie from The Simpsons or the Simpsons episode with Poochie in it. And it's, yeah, it's just same uh, thing. Yeah, pretty Same much. level. And uh, <laughs> well, yeah, just I was thinking of that Poochie episode and just thinking the, how, how the boardroom dissected, uh, you know, itchy and scratchy and, and into like just nothingness. They, they drained all the comedy out of it. And it just seems like with the White Sox approach, it's kind of the same thing, just going so hard to accumulate value and, and, and save up these, uh, these years of team control and, uh, you know, not pin yourself in any corner that you end up making no decisions at all. And, uh, just the, uh, you know, you have a stretch where it's four and 16 and nobody feels like they're in jeopardy and nobody feels like, uh, uh, you know, you're not going to see a managerial change. You're not going to see a coaching change. You're not going to see, um, you're going to see Dylan Covey and Ross Detweiler alternating roster, uh, rotation spots based on, uh, who had the slightly worse outing? You know, just uh, uh, there, there's it's just uh, complete stagnation. Sounds like fun. Yeah, I hope you guys continue to listen to us the next. Yeah, two why months. are we doing this? <laughs> why are you listening? Why are we doing this? Oh, because we love this team, Jim. That's why we love the game, and hopefully, hopefully, they have a change of heart and going in a different direction on how they're they're handling things. I mean, they're being somewhat aggressive with Nick Magical. That kind of gives me hope. He only played 42 games in double A before getting called up to triple A. So maybe, maybe things are changing. Um, but to go back to the White Sox Met series, the, the one comment that I have, uh, because there's really nothing, a lo- there's not a lot positive to come out of the 10 game homestand, but I thought Ronaldo Lopez, Lucas Giolito and Dylan Cease, I think they did well going up against Three very good starting pitchers in Noah Syndergaard, Jacob DeGrom, and Zach Wheeler. They had to pitch really well to give the White Sox an opportunity to win those games. And I thought all three did this week, Jim. Yeah, I, I didn't get to see Cease to start because he's at work and I uh, couldn't stream because of blackout restrictions. But uh, the reports were positive. It seemed like he got more out of his fastball than his uh, uh, first few starts. And so that's positive. Um, and uh, pitching past the fifth inning is also a, a check mark. Yeah, you had Lucas Giolito, who had been, yeah, I, I saw some uh, complaints that he was regressing. Oh, here's he's turning to a pumpkin now. But I think if you were to enter the season and say, like, if he could, if he could give the White Sox a 3.5 ERA, you take that. And right now he's, you know, back below 3.5. But I think, you know, if if 
If you thought he was going to be a low two ERA pitcher, I think that was a little bit optimistic. Even when he was at the height of his powers, there's going to be some inconsistency, maybe some fatigue with new mechanics, uh, working new parts of his uh, his arm and just you know different, uh, slightly different muscles being used and, and the way they're being used. So I could see some fatigue setting in and some uh, ways to have to deal with compensating for fatigue. But yeah, just the pitchers were delivering. Um, but yeah, the offense just non-existent. Tim Anderson hasn't shown much since he's come back. Eloy Jimenez hasn't shown much since he's come back. And and I think uh, you know when listening to Jason Benetti and Steve Stone talk about what the lineup missed, I was a little bit worried that was going to be the case, that uh, when they came back, nothing changed. I guess the one thing is Yohan Mankata's injury. That's another thing we, we can you know cover real quick. Uh, now Yohan Makata being out, I think it does take the, some of the heat off Anderson and Jimenez just because now you can say, well, um, we, we thought things were going to take a turn when they got back, but Makata's hurt and Makata's even better than they are. So now we're really going to see a scuffling offense for a bit. Yeah. Yeah. With the Makata, I didn't want to make myself really sad. Uh, but yeah, it's going to be a rough couple of weeks. It's going to be a rough month of August folks. Uh, the White Sox only have eight games against teams with a below 500 record, uh, and they got 29 total games this upcoming month. Uh, so right now they're projected to finish 69 and 73, according to fan graphs. And uh, it may be tough to even get to that win total. So hold on. We're going to be looking at drafts. <laughs> we're we're going to be looking at where the draft standings are uh, for the rest of the couple of months, unless the White Sox have a change of heart and start calling up uh, fresh faces for us to watch. Then it will help spark or continue our interest in, in watching this team. But if they're going to keep recycling the same guys, it's a, uh, it could be a bit of a chore to watch the white Sox in the month of August and the month of September. Now with the white Sox heading to Philadelphia, we're going to quickly preview that series as they have three games against the Phillies. But before we do a quick word from our sponsor, SeatGeek. Baseball season is underway. There's no better place to get your tickets than on SeatGeek. As SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place, so you can easily find the seats you want for a price you are willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. And I know that some of you are heading out to Philadelphia this weekend uh, to visit the ballpark and check off another ballpark on, on the, the map on the list of trying to visit every stadium. And if you've never been, or if you're going to follow the White Sox to Detroit next week, uh, you can look up as far as SeatGeek's ballpark survey. And what they did is they asked baseball fans from all 30 teams about the ballpark and the experience. And you can check out those rankings at SeatGeek.com slash stadium guides. Again, that's SeatGeek.com slash stadium guides. And if you are going to be visiting those stadiums and you need tickets at the last minute, or maybe when the White Sox come back home, they have some cool giveaways with the Aloy Jimenez bobblehead day on August 10th against the Oakland A's. Uh, you can save even more money by using our promo code socks machine to save $10 off your first purchase. Again, that's promo code socks machine for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek life's an event. We have the tickets. And again, the White Sox are heading to Philadelphia to face the fighting Phils. The Phillies are 57 and 51. They are tied with the Washington Nationals for second place in the National League East and tied in the wild card. In their last 10 games, they have won six. And your pitching problems for this series starting on Friday at 6.05 p.m. Central Time. It is Yvonne Nova against new face for the Phillies, Jason Vargas. On Saturday at 6.05 Central Time, why, I do not know, but it is Ross Detweiler for the White Sox against Aaron Nola. 
And on Sunday at 12.05 p.m. Central Time, it is Ronaldo Lopez against Drew Smiley for the Phillies. So a couple new faces for the Phillies and Vargas and Smiley. And, of course, their ace, Aaron Nola, on Saturday going up against Big Ross Detweiler. I have very little faith about Saturday's game, if you could not tell. Uh, But I am hoping that Nova and Lopez can continue their good streaks. What are you hoping to see from these weekend's games, Jim? I'm hoping to see some offense because the Phillies, you know, they've been decent and they, they're hanging in the wild card, but they've had some really lopsided games. They've, they've, you know, their pitching has taken some lumps, you know, that's why they got Vargas. And that's why it was a little bit of a, a surprise that they didn't make any additions to their bullpen. And now David Robertson is out for the year. So it seemed like a missed opportunity to add to their uh, uh, relief core. And, and they had a 4.7 ERA in July and, you know, that's bottom half and, Seems like uh, you know there's an opportunity for the White Sox to you know actually score some runs, get some extra base hits, which uh, you know you would think that they would have that chance against you know maybe you know Mets have good starters, but the Mets also have a little wobbly bullpen and uh, you know they didn't look that good against the Marlins either aside from the first game. So yeah, it's just it's uh, an uphill climb for them. But I think you know the the Phillies pitching staff aside from Nola is pretty wobbly right now and. Uh, should be some chance for Anderson to get on track and for Jimenez to have some better at-bats and maybe even Jose Abreu uh, facing a couple lefties uh, can get his swing back on track because he's looked like he's uh, just behind everything too. Yeah, he. I don't know if he looks tired or what. Jose Abreu doesn't look normal at the moment. Again, But again, this offense doesn't look normal for anyone. I mean, they're all performing poorly right now for the White Sox offense. So I agree with you, Jim. Hopefully we do see some runs out in Philadelphia because after this series, they have four games in Detroit. Tuesday is a doubleheader, so the White Sox will have the 26 man, so we'll see on how they use it. And then they'll come home, three games against the A's, which the A's need those games in the wild card chase. And then three games against the Houston Astros, which you know that will be fun. Uh, and, then, <laughs> and then it's four games at Anaheim against the Angels. And then continuing the road trip, three games in Minnesota. And then they come home for four games against Texas. That will be a little easier. But then it's followed up with another three-game series against the Twins. And that's followed up with a three-game series in Atlanta. And that's followed up by four games at Cleveland. So that takes you all the way from beginning of August through Labor Day in September, folks. Man, out of those 33 games if they could win 13 of them i think that'd be pretty good yeah i'm, I'm looking at it only the tigers you can really say are packing in i think rangers have you know they're they're a hill is too too uh too tall to climb based on the talent they have and the angels i think are getting disappointing pitching but you know with mike trout there they're always respectable so looking at the the course yeah they're just uh they don't have much company until like say september rolls around and you have the royals and mariners back to back yeah so that's what we have lo- to look forward to so hopefully something sparks here and they they bring some excitement because right now after these last 20 games and what happened in the trade deadline and seeing you know the same players being recycled and and call-ups and and not giving new fresh faces an opportunity it's kind of dull right now with the white Sox. so hopefully they spark something in philadelphia and they give us some things to really talk about, or this is going to quickly become the Charlotte Knights machine podcast uh, as we start <laughs> focusing on what's going on in Charlotte uh, with Luis Robert and Nick Magical now 
both with the Knights. But that will do it for this edition of Sox Machine Live. Thank you to everyone that listened to the live stream on Mixler.com slash Sox Machine. If you don't get an opportunity to listen to the live stream, no worries. Every recording is uploaded into the podcast feed, which you can subscribe to the show via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, Google Podcasts, and Audioboom.com slash Sox Machine. Jim and I will be back on Monday for the Sox Machine podcast as we recap what happens in Philadelphia and we'll preview the upcoming series in Detroit. But Sox Machine Live is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Check out our amazing offers on Xfinity Internet. You'll get fast speed and Wi-Fi coverage you can count on. Plus, get advanced security free with the XFi Gateway, so you can keep the connected devices in your home protected from network threats. Just log in and activate through the Xfinity app. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.